I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcasts is supported by Infratech. Bring indoor comfort to outdoor living with Infratech Comfort Heaters. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Good morning. And you are listening to Spaces Podcasts Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Jason, we are going to dig into this article that that I saw on LinkedIn. Um, It's by Design. uh, Let's see. A lot of people use use LinkedIn. I think so. I have a profile on there, but it's like, and I always go in once a month and, you know, clean up all the crap. But do they really use it? Like, is it... I I do. Thing? Like, I I use it because it's uh supposed to be professional focused. So I, it's, I, it's just like a rerun of everything else. It feels like to me. You know what? You know what, I take that back. To me, it feels like a generational difference. Uh yeah. As opposed to what though? Social media, like a social media generation difference. Like there's more. God, man, how, you know, how, how do I carefully say this? There's more seasoned individuals that utilize LinkedIn, uh-huh. whereas like uh, the less experienced in years tend to be more active on regular social media, like uh, I would call regular, like, like, like Facebook and Instagram, Twitter. right? Twitter. Yeah, I don't even use Twitter. I don't, you know, I, I had an account at one point, but. I don't think people, uh, less seasoned people use uh, Facebook anymore. No, fair point. It's more um, Twitter and Instagram, but from a professional perspective, I think there, there's a wide range of people that use LinkedIn. I, yeah, from what I see, and and it's all purely talking about professional stuff. 
Yeah, uh, that's, that's interesting. But there is some political stuff that kind of ekes in. <laughs> it feels, and see, like the people that I maybe am connected to, and it's far different. Like, I think literally I was on it this morning because I got one of the emails, like so-and-so, whatever. So I go in there to clean it up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think I have like less than 400 connections or something. And yeah. you go to like Instagram, you know, it doesn't, none of this matters to me, but it's like you got 7,000 plus followers or whatever it is. And you just mm-hmm. laugh because it's like, I don't really care about any of them, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I'm just, you know, it's just, a, it's a difference. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe that's what it is too. Maybe mine, if like I've got professional stuff that I'll, you know, post about on social media, but also the same personal stuff, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Either way. And so maybe there's that blending in our generation, if you will, that kind of has created that. But yeah. And it's funny that you say that about Facebook. Is that why he's coming out with his metaverse now? He's, he's disappointed that his didn't, uh, Oh yeah, didn't I think take front seat. I think uh, Facebook is all but dead. I know people that are our age that are still just on Facebook. It's still it's too poisoned. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people have given up. I've noticed a few of my friends have stopped using Facebook. I've stopped using it for the most part. I just post for here for spaces, but um, hmm. I'm pretty much done with it. Cause there's some things that are cool on Facebook though. Like it, it still gives me like memories from years back, Yeah, which I tend to love because it has a lot to do with the kids and, and the family, you know, yeah. my wife and stuff are like, holy cow. Whereas you don't get that out of Instagram necessarily. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a whole different topic for another day, I guess. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> You're giving me that but, look. <laughs> but uh, speaking of social media, just a quick reminder uh, to follow us on all of our social media platforms. Uh, we do have Facebook if you still use it, uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, so make sure you follow us there as well as uh, we could really use your help in this is our annual reminder um, to subscribe to the podcast, to uh, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, as well as subscribe, because all of that helps kind of boost us up to help more people find the show. And we love to see any comments. I'm going to get into the habit of sharing some of the reviews that we've gotten. Yeah. But Do the bad ones always first. <laughs> yeah. I think those are funny. <laughs> yeah. So please leave us a, re- a review, whether it's bad or, or good. Uh, we'd love to see those. And make sure to share uh, any of the op- episodes that have come up that you've enjoyed. Please make sure to share that with a friend. Uh, we'd love to grow our family. So please do that. Try not to bug you guys too much about it, but <laughs> would love the help to get our show out there so more people can see what we're or hear what we're talking about. Okay. Now, before we jump into the Design Matters blog, we have to give a quick shout out to our sponsor. In the last few years, premium outdoor spaces have become a must-have architectural feature, and Infratech outdoor electric heating systems have become the brand of choice among leading architects. Infratech heaters provide energy-efficient, ambient warmth, that allows homeowners to live outdoors during cooler months. Clients love them because they can enjoy 100 more nights a year outside. Architects love them because of the unparalleled versatility, from heater capacities and colors to mounting options that can either seamlessly disappear or accentuate a space with beautiful decorative coverings. They're also the only comfort heating company to offer smart home integration and hands-free voice-activated control. 
For over 60 years, Infratech has made their products in the USA at competitive prices. They offer incredible design and live technical support at every stage of a job. Infratech is specified at the world's most prestigious properties. Learn why and sign up for a free consultation at infratech-usa.com forward slash podcasts. And Jason, one thing we haven't mentioned, I don't think we mentioned it, maybe we have, but Infratech is privately owned. I think we did mention it. We did mention it once. Privately owned company. Love privately owned companies because they don't answer to a public uh, funding. <laughs> so they do what they do and uh, they're not driven solely by profit margins of a, of a board or anything like that. So those, those are the companies that I tend to lean towards. Big fan. Yeah. A yeah, big fan. Now that I've had, well, technically we're still private where I'm at right now, but, um, but it's more of a hedge fund mutual, you know, that type of deal. Mm-hmm. So it still has a lot of similarities, I think between, <laughs> um, cause I've never been part of a really big public company, mm-hmm. but it's driven primarily by revenue and that type of stuff. And, and you tend to, I think that's the big thing. So when you say if they're a private company, if they're owned solely by whomever you're working with, like that's, those are the companies that I really enjoy because it yeah. feels like you're, you can really make a difference in, in, in that type of stuff. So it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Now getting into this uh, blog post, uh, it's called asking why, and we'll put a link why? <laughs> and we'll put a link in our uh, show notes so you can check it out. But starts out saying, sometimes you need to step back and ask why. Why are things the way they are? Why do we continue to design the same way? Why do we put up things? Because that's the way we've always done it. Sometimes there's a good answer for why, but there are other times where the why is no longer relevant or applicable to our lives. Um, So they go into a few different situations within housing and, and sort of ask why. And the first one which I thought was kind of relevant to our time right now, is the home office. So they said uh, traditionally it's right off of the foyer, which is true in our new housing designs. Um, Usually it's like an opening. If you pay for the upgrade, you can get optional doors Mm -hmm. uh, installed. A little bit of a tighter space usually, right, than like a normal traditional room, if you will. Yeah, because it's usually specifically for the office most cases. So they're asking why and and this uh, writer refers to uh, those doors being on there and says, if you're lucky, you have double doors. I say lucky because a lot of these builders consider these doors as an option. Clearly, they haven't seen how messy my office is. I thought I was clever when I installed custom barn doors to close off my office. Nice look, but acoustically useless. I didn't see Zoom coming, and my dogs have no regard for my fi- my meetings. <laughs> So there's a lot, a few things in this uh, paragraph that that, uh, yeah. that are interesting. So yeah, now we have Zoom meetings constantly, mm-hmm. work from home, and then you have periods where school gets shut down because of a mm-hmm. COVID outbreak or something like that. So kids are inside. The barn door has for a long time been a nice design element that I think some desired. Yeah, that a lot of the builders have installed. Mm-hmm. I saw somewhere that. Those are out of style now, but I still see a lot of people request them and want them. A lot of the remodels that I'm doing, people still want them, but uh, I think they are finding that they're not functional. Like the writer mentioned, dogs barking and noise, and it just doesn't work acoustically. Well, I think I think it just depends on what you're going for, mm-hmm. right? So if you if you take apart what that that individual is saying, 
Like, first off, it's great that you have the space now that, that at least home building has followed along with what the, the market demands or needs are, meaning, you know, there's a lot more working from home. So you need a dedicated space for that. And, or at least it's a desired space, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then I think what this individual misses is, look, they're giving you that space, but then it's an opportunity to make some money by charging you to, to put doors on this thing. You know yeah. what I mean? It's less expensive for them to just drywall out an opened area and not have to deal with anything else. And they can charge you, you know, a couple grand for popping in $300 worth of doors. You know what I mean? Like that, that look, this is, you know, they're in, they're in the business of making money. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's an option you have. Hey, is it worth it to you or not? You know, decide up to you. Now, I think the other reason barn doors was a high design thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like that's what all the designers, all the Magnolia home shows and everybody was doing, you know, barn doors. So everybody looks at us like, Oh, I got to have a barn door. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Chip and Joanna say, this is what you got to do. So this is what I'm going to do. And, and, and that's how marketing works. Like that's, that's wonderful. Right. Yeah. And I think it depends on what your desire is for that space. If your desire for that space for me, it would be fine because I put on headphones or whatever. And if I'm just trying to keep people out, they know at that point that, Hey, I probably got something going on in here, knock or whatever. Visual barrier. Yeah, correct. And I think the other thing too, you know, for a lot of people is it's an easy ad. Yeah. If you're going to do it yourself, you're going to have a contractor do it. It's really easy for them to lag in a few tracks, make sure they're level and then just hang a door that's on rollers on there. Like yeah. there's not a lot to it. So I think a lot of people misunderstand how easy that is as opposed to getting most times, which you probably need your custom doors made for an opening that wasn't originally made for an opening specifically. Right. Yeah. If it wasn't designed for that. And then you have to put them in, which is not easy if you've never done that before. And then you have to case it. And which means you also have to change your baseboards and all that other kind of stuff. You're like, at least modify your baseboards and things. And so people, I don't think understand that. And on top of that, most likely the transition into that space isn't set up for a door change, meaning the flooring. So then you got kind of an awkward, whatever, you know, but people that aren't in the industry, I don't think will necessarily understand that. But again, yeah, I think it's awesome the builders are doing it. I would love a dedicated office space. We turned a room into dedicated four spaces for office, and mm-hmm. really it was our den. Um, and again, it just depends on what your desire is for that. I remember everybody used to do pocket doors. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> there are pocket doors, and you do a lot of those in remodels because you don't have the space for them, you know, for a door swing, right? Yeah. But anybody that will tell you that's used pocket doors, they usually suck all the time. <laughs> yes. Because because the wood swells or, you know, you get warping and this kind of stuff and things get stuck or, you Track know, whatever. breaks. Or somebody screws a picture into the wrong spot. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens. They don't understand why the door doesn't work anymore. You know what I mean? It's like we freaking locked it in with your family picture that's hanging on the other one, right? Yeah. So I think the barn door somewhat became the the replacement for that in a lot of ways because of the usability. So um, and every time I see somebody do a pocket door and remolish them, like figure out a different solution. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's cool now, but you're going to hate it later. Yeah. And then this was an interesting point on the, on the office in general it says, well, why is the office off the foyer in the first place? Certainly not because I receive visitors into my office. I believe this is a remnant of what I call the show den. I think it actually was intended to have people over to your office and to have, I know that was the the thinking in a lot of the places that I've worked is to have the office up front and then you can do optional um, or sometimes they include the double doors off of the front so that you have access to the space. Or if they just come in through the front door, they immediately can go right into your office rather than going deep into your house. So that is the purpose. I agree. But they go on to suggest in a recent Design Bites, which I'm not familiar with, Uh, 15 design ideas in 15 minutes. They 
prefer to have it in the back of the house next to the master or on the second floor, which is a preference thing for, mm-hmm. for, for an individual. Again, I think it makes it difficult if you are using it as a real office and you do have people over to the comfort level of having them walk through your house, all your privatized areas to get to your office. Um, I find that a little difficult to, to wrap my head around. I mean, I tend to agree. I'd rather have the office up. If you're going to have, if you're going to buy a new home or build a new home with a dedicated office, I'd put it up front. Zero, yeah. zero questions, right? And then I'd probably put doors on it if I was literally doing dedicated space. Maybe even glass doors or whatever. So you don't really cut off, you know, um, visual depth. But, you know, with our house, you know, we plan to do a second remodel, as you know, at some point here, a second add on. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm probably going to add is a little nook area, if you will, that I can put my computer and a printer and that type of stuff. So I can literally just shut the door yeah. to our master bedroom, if you will, even though it's like go left to the the, the quote unquote office space, yeah. go right to the bedroom. So they're semi-separate. But, you know, I, I whatever you're dealing with on business is probably private for the most part. So I'd rather have it reserved out that way. But then again, it's not an office space that I'm ever going to bring anybody to talk business with. You know, I would do that. I would do that on a different site or I would do that, you know, wherever else. So but that's but that's purely a desire and a personal need thing. Yeah. Is, is how I see that. Right. I don't think I don't think the home office was ever intended to be for commerce. You know what I mean? Like hand-to-hand, face-to-face commerce. I think it was more so just a space where way back when where you would handle your bills and you would take, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But time has evolved to where, again, I don't think it's individual commerce. I think it's work from home. Yeah. I don't I don't want to, maybe that's the better, the better way to designate it, right? It's like a work from home space as opposed to an office. Office sounds cool and was a marketing term, but in functionality, I think it's more so designed for work from home at this point, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like commerce, right? Like your own personal commerce. So that's probably, that's probably a good designation. Yeah. That's a good clarifier of like, do you, do you intend to have people over then? Yeah. You should have a office or studio that maybe even Big time. Yeah. clearly connects to the outdoors rather than yeah. coming into the house at all, if that's the point. Um, and then there is a difference between a home office or what you're talking about is maybe like a pocket office off of the kitchen or something yep. where it's like home management. They used to call it. Yeah. Like, where it's yeah. like seven feet wide or something yep. and, you know, eight, nine feet deep yep. just to get in, have your laptop yep. set up bills and all that yep. stuff. There's, very big difference and that's where you can just you know shut the door just so people don't see the trash and stuff correct and then just jump in to do what you need to do um so there's very big difference between those yeah and i think the other thing too you know when when builders are designing homes like when you you know obviously overall square footage plays into the cost of what they can sell something for right when you're looking at comparatives in the market right um for appraisals and whatnot Mm-hmm. You don't you don't really get any extra points, if you will, for having a home office because yeah. it's not living space. So it's like if you had a chance to give them a home office or a fourth bedroom, the builder's going to do a fourth bedroom because a fourth bedroom is worth X amount of money, whereas the home office is worth a quarter of that. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. and so I think I think um, it's still it's still a market economic driven thing, mm-hmm. right? So the pocket office, which is a really good point, or the home management you used to get, which is a you know, seven or nine by whatever, five space. Like yeah. that's why that exists there yeah. because they want to give you a functional space to do those things. But overall, they got to put the footage into what's going to give you added return value, right? Yeah. Um, 
And then the last item that they mention is <laughs> outlets, which I thought was kind of funny. Why are outlets 18 inches above the floor? What in our house is 18 inches off of the floor? <laughs> um, all those outlets that are along the floor. So first of all, the outlets are between eight, uh, what is it? 15 or the low end is the minimum up to, I think it's 48 inches at the high side. So outlets can fall anywhere mm-hmm. between there. But it's weird if you walk down a hallway with outlets all in the kind middle of, of the wall. Yeah, yeah, all in the middle of the wall as you're walking down. So that's why they're sort of as low as possible. And it's just intended to plug in a vacuum and vacuum that area. Exactly. That's really the sole reason. Like if you didn't have to put outlets in, I think a lot of people wouldn't. No. Oh. But you're required to by code to put them, I think it's within like 12 feet in like a transition space. Yep. And then there's certain, what is it, eight feet? Uh, there's certain distances between like in a bedroom mm-hmm. or uh, in public spaces. So those are all required uh, by code to put in certain places. But it's very weird if you have outlets anywhere else, like floating in the middle of the wall in a yeah, hallway. It, it doesn't make sense. And, I, you know, everything you're saying, I agree with, you know, whether you're plugging in a vacuum, you need the cord at the low length, right? Yeah. Or at the low, the low end. You know, if you plugged in your Christmas tree, you know, this past weekend, like 60 billion people probably did. It's, <laughs> it's a low outlet. You'd be like, what the hell is it in the middle of the wall for? <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. But I will tell you, there is a lot of thought because I go through a lot of frame walks and I know you used to as well, or you still do. But yeah. a lot of times when we put in a linen space or whatever, we are talking about where an outlet should go. You yeah. know what I mean? Because obviously it doesn't make sense to bury an outlet 18 inches behind a cabinet. <laughs> yeah. You want to have it when it's like a drop zone. It's like, okay, people are going to plug their phones in here. And so there is actually a whole lot of discussion about that. And and not only that, it's like, hey, maybe this should be a USB plug, not just, yep. you know, or a combo plug, I think they call it or whatever it is. And you, you're usually looking at those types of things in the kitchens too. And so there is a lot of, a lot of thought that goes into the placement of those types of things mm-hmm. because you really want it to make sense, you know, as you're, as you're walking through and as you're living in it. Um, and, you know, to, and to be completely honest, when you go into like a remodel situation, you know, like when we add cabinets, or we do something else like that. Like it's a pain having to account for where all the existing outlets are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they never line up where you need them anyway. And, and when someone goes in to put in a home office, if you will, or a workspace or whatever, it's like, I'm constantly moving things to account for, okay, cutting the back of the cabinet, you know what I mean? So you can, you can plug in for your printer or whatever there and not have cords having to run out a courtesy hole and plug into the wall and be visible, mm-hmm. you know? So there's a lot of those types of things as well that, that most people would never, never understand. And why would they, you know yeah. what I mean? That's always <laughs> my thing. Like, why would you, if this isn't what you do and, and a lot of people, like there's a lot to be said about a layman's perspective as they're walking a house. And that's why they do focus groups and those types of things. Right. Because, um, and it, my biggest example that like, I've done it for a few times for like automotive manufacturers where I just enjoy it. Cause I like cars. And so they'll be like, you know, they'll hit me up and they pay you a couple hundred bucks for that day or whatever it is. And you go in and I used to get to do this when I had a life as opposed to just <laughs> all the time and, and whatnot, but you know, you'd have no badges on the car or whatever. And you'd go in and you'd look at everything and they would ask you as far as styling and ergonomics and all these other kind of things. And you'd be like, why is this here? Why is this here? Well, when you're an engineer, you're the manufacturer, you think you understand what the market wants, right? Mm-hmm. Based off of research you've done, but then you always get one Yahoo or whoever <laughs> that comes in and is like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't it be this way? And so, you know, don't forget they're playing it for the mass 95% of the market, not the 5%, right? Yeah. Um, so, and you can't customize if you want <laughs> You can't customize everything in a production environment because if you did, it'd be a custom home. And that's why you pay twice as much for a custom home. Right? Yeah. 
So it's, it's just, but it's, it's interesting. If you ever get a chance to, to listen to you know, whatever your trade is, your businesses or whatever, some product you manufacture, if you ever get a chance to listen to somebody in a, in a focus group perspective, it's super enlightening mm-hmm. um, and totally worth the time because you will, if you, you know, if you can find one thing you never thought of, like it's, it's, it's well worth it. And a lot of times stuff like this came out of it. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm plugging my phone. Like I, like, why do I have to have the extra little plug-in thing? Why can't you just give me the USB thing? That's where that came from. Yeah. Know? To that point, this person asks, why not put uh, the bedside outlets where they're easily accessible? So I assume they're saying like up at the 24, 30 inch mm-hmm. mark, maybe so that it's above and you can plug in directly there rather than at uh, 18 inches at that point. I don't know. Um, so, so here, So here's the thought I've had on that. Okay. And that I've literally heard because I've, I've, I've heard people ask that question on a frame walk mm-hmm. because let's take, let's take a master bedroom because it's easier. You're going to put in nightstands or whatever it is that are going to be, you know, next to your bed or whatever. So let's say the nightstand is roughly 24 inches above the floor, mm-hmm. you know, your lamp goes on there or whatever else. And so you're saying, okay, put a, put a light switch or put a outlet at 30 inches. Yeah. You see every single cord running up to <laughs> that, that outlet at that point. Right. And while that's, that may seem to make a whole lot of sense to you, usually what you'll do is you'll put them, you know, on underneath. So you can move the, the nightstand out just enough to where a cord can run down and plug in. Mm-hmm. So you're literally hiding all the cords. The whole idea is to be able to hide everything as much as possible. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. And so, and especially because it's usually only two outlets, right? But you've got a lamp and then you got a phone plug and you got this plug, and you got whatever. So then you got like a splitter thing on there somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you don't want to see all that mess like, like out in the open. So a lot of it has to do with literally just trying to hide stuff as much as possible. Yeah. That was, what, that's what I was going to say. It's like my, per, like, I get it. I've stayed in hotels and I'm like, God, I hate having to move the furniture out to plug in my phone. But nobody wants to, especially in a home situation, no one wants to see all those cables everywhere all the time. So that's kind of why that would be that way. But I mean, in your custom home, you can do that. Totally. And then you're going to look at it and you're going to call them back and spend another couple of thousand dollars to move them back down. I mean, that's what's going to be. Oh, can't get it out. But I mean, the same thing. It was the the idea with um, TVs too. Yeah. It used to be low because TVs were low. Well, now what you do is you put them at roughly I think 60, like 60, 66 inches, somewhere around there. So that way you just plug in. And these days you don't even cable anymore for the most part, if you're using some streaming thing. Yeah. So wherever you have an outlet, you can put a TV there and it's just, there's nothing as opposed to me where I've had to like literally run cables or run new outlets. So I don't have to have stuff hanging down from a cat, you know, a, a TV and whatnot. Yeah. So there's a lot of thought that goes into it. You know, I, I can, I can at least vouch for that, but I can't say we don't ever come across something where we're like, the hell are they thinking? You know, like, why did you do this? Especially when I go into other states and check out houses. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? But then you don't understand what the, the, the market wants in that area, you know? Yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah. This was a interesting article and I think a good habit to ask why you do the things you do, but going forward, I think it'd be kind of cool if our listeners sent in questions about why things are the way they are and we can try to answer those so if you have any questions out there feel free to shoot us an email to hello at spacespodcast.com or message us on any of our social media platforms and we'll take a stab at um, explaining why things are the way they are in your home office or any other building that you occupy all right uh so thanks for for jumping on today uh jason Thank you to the listeners for listening. We will talk again on Thursday. Oh, your favorite, Jason, the metaverse. Oh, God, I'm going to miss it on purpose. (laughs) All right. Just, just Just plug in some 
avatar for me or something <laughs> like that and just pretend like I'm there. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll talk again on Thursday. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors. By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you to Infratech Outdoor Comfort Heating for their support of this episode of Spaces Podcasts. Visit infratech-usa.com slash podcast to sign up for a free consultation and learn why Infratech is the choice for bringing indoor comfort to outdoor living. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.